everyone. Welcome to Mentally Sounds Life and Lockdown podcast series. What episode 43? Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ricky Tham and I'll be your host for the next next hour. Just a reminder that Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show in which in these shows I talk to people. Uh, all my guests include th- people like therapists, service users, charities, grassroots organizations, um, people are doing, you know, doing generally good stuff out there in the community at this particular, you know, uh, tumultuous time that they're going through. Also, people who are shielding and uh, who are going through uh, experiences themselves. If you're listening out there, please get in touch. with you do? I'd love to talk to you. So, as as it is a mental health and mental well-being show, as a disclaimer, we urge you to, um, you know, please, please go out and find your nearest help if you find that the topics of our conversation over the a trigger to you if it, if you find it too sensitive or if it brings back certain flashbacks for you and so on. So please, yes, see your nearest therapist, your GP, your mental mental health nurse. You know, people that uh, local to you that can give you the support because that's after all that's what you deserve. So yes, um, mentally sound life in lockdown. It is a, a podcast show, but it is originally a radio show. Um, listeners are aware that. Um, you know, as the as we were blindsided by lockdown and the pandemic, I decided, along with my therapist, that um, we should do a series of podcasts and Spice FM very kindly get to broadcast these. And talking of which, if you listen on via Spice FM, you'll be listening either on the one o'clock uh, Tuesday afternoon show or the repeat on Saturday three o'clock. So Tuesday is one o'clock, Saturday is three o'clock. Those are the times that you'll that you can find us on. And of course, just type in spicefm.co.uk uh, if you can't get uh, FM 98.8 FM along your way. Um, and if you do want to get in touch, uh, you can contact us through Mentally Sound's email. So it's mentally sound at spicefm.co.uk. Um, if you want to be featured on the show, if you've got questions, if you want to be signposted to our therapist, uh, please do that. You also may be listening to us on our social media platforms. A reminder what those are. On Twitter at, at underscore mentally sound, on Instagram it's mentally sound radio, and on Facebook it's mentally sound radio show, and it's on our header page on Facebook where you'll find all our archive podcasts listed. So check that out. Brilliant. And just a, a reminder of the recent good news that we've had we are on a load of new uh, podcasting platforms in which you can listen to us on. So these include Clip, Spotify, Spotify Pocket Cast, Google, uh, uh, Radio Public and Breaker. Uh, I think I pronounced that wrong last time. I think it said Breaker. Uh, that's just my handwriting. That's that's my bad. So it's Breaker, I think. Yeah. So you can find us on on those uh, platforms, which is great. Um, without further ado, we've got our first guest uh, waiting, uh, waiting in the wings. Um, he's a friend of the show. He's been on a couple of times before. He's a renowned local stand-up comedian, John Scott. How you doing, buddy? I'm all right. I'm all right, Ricky. As as I said to you when we just came on before this i am surviving a pandemic like everybody else is supposed at the moment like yeah. yeah well well that kind of feeds into you know my my first question as is as is all the guests with um how have you been and um how have you been throughout the whole past you know 11 12 months of lockdown i, th- I think everybody's hitting the hardest part of it with this latest lockdown yeah. um for me i've been remarkably all right and compared to how bad, well, there's a few stories to tell here. So yeah. when this started, I think the first scary issue for me is, I've said in the show, I've got bipolar one. Yeah. 
anxiety attacks, as I call them, but they're actually attacks in psychosis and that as well. I was worried that this situation might aggravate yeah. the condition at the start. And I remember in the first couple of weeks a lot, and certainly waking up in the morning with the odd anxiety spike, you know, wham in the chest, but they would dissipate. But then what became interesting is that I actually found I was quite well adapted to what was going on. And I had this discussion with a friend who's got the same condition, similar symptoms as me. And we, we kind of put about the theory that some of us were, you know, if you've got a, an acute mental health condition, you're kind of, you're used to the world being turned upside down. Mm. So in some ways we felt maybe we were more adaptable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the interesting thing that happened this year, so family history, my, I got an older brother, James, he's got no history in mental health, mm. uh, nothing like what I've had of that. Yeah. Uh, he's in Australia. He had a massive attack of psychosis this oh year. Oh, my God, right. right. And he's 62 years old, no wow. history of it, came out of nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, that links up that genetic thing in the family. Eventually, this made me mother reveal a family history that I've known nothing about in the 25 years I've been diagnosed, that on my dad's side of the family, there was an uncle that we never knew about who was mainly institutionalized most of his life. So, wow. so all of that came out under this pandemic. and. So although it hasn't affected me, he's fine now. He's, he does that worrying thing that I do where, I mean, and he had symptoms that even I've not had. He had, you know, visual hallucinations, people that weren't there, speaking to people that weren't there. And then he got discharged after just a fortnight he'd been in hospital. And we were like, surely there must be some major follow-up to this. Yeah. And he kind of dusted himself down and went, yeah, I'm fine now. And he has been for months now. But mm. what's really concerning is, that he's not he's not seen a psychologist since he's been discharged from hospital despite asking to him. Right, and right. He's in Australia where it would appear that mental health services are, are just as stretched and just as any ropey as what we've got in this. So it's not due well. it's not due to the pandemic pandemic necessarily, it's just the services are inadequate. Um, it might be the pandemic as well. Yeah. Obviously that's having a, it's, it's creating a tsunami a, a bad So that's interesting. Services. Your your brother suffers from, you know, out of the blue a psychotic episode. So that led you yeah. to Look at your family history, and then all these revelations yeah. came out. Wow, whoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that must right. have been. It's mad. I mean, when it happened, my brother, when I say I nearly fainted, I genuinely mean, like, I, it was late at night because he's in Australia, and he'd been texting and messaging a lot. And I've been on the phone to him, and he's, to me, he sounded in the grip of hypermania. And I didn't think it yeah. would go any further than that, like, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I got a message through. It's the kind of message you don't see. It just went, I think I've figured everything out and I know what's going on. And I, I can read into that, that. That's a delusion, a, you know, a global conspiracy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't have time to absorb that when the phone rang. And I knew he was delusional as soon as yeah. the phone rang. And when I asked it, the room swam. It had such an impact on me. I had to sit down and I was like, I couldn't really handle him at that point. And yeah. then once I gathered myself together, I spent about three days talking through that stuff with him on the phone. And I was... Lucky to have the insight to guide him through it a lot, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but then he came at the other end of it and has been fine for months. So, it's who knows what, like, you know, maybe oh. it's a one off. I just don't know, especially at his age of 62. Sure, he's sure. Never history of it, like, yeah. Well, I'm glad to, yeah. yeah, glad to hear he's, he's all right for the time being, but that yeah, must, yeah. but, but being so far away, it must, um, given that it what you've tricky. been through on a personal level, you must be on yeah. 10 hooks, you know. Yeah. It was it was a tough time for 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 a month or so, like yeah, yeah. especially <laughs> communicating with a hospital, with a psychiatric hospital. Like somebody's I phone and they go, "He's not in here," and I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> I go, "Oh, this reminds me of the days when I when I've been in hospital a couple of times myself." Yeah, like, sure, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, but it, again, it does concern me that that was months ago now. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting on the other point you brought up as well that people with already. Um, diagnosed mental health conditions and when it came come to lockdown 
um, how are we more adaptable to to a regular person? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I've I've talked to other guests who've said similar in that um, there was almost like a, I, I dare use the word arrogance. Sometimes I don't mean it to sound like arrogance, but yeah. there was a certain kind of feeling amongst the 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 mental health fraternity, as it were, you know, uh, yeah. to use that terminology. But it's like, well, now you now you now you now you guys know what it's like for us. You know, we go sure. through this on any given day, and here we are, and we're all in lockdown together. I mean, we have our own personal lockdowns every right. day of the week. So did you have that sort of, I, I not, not arrogance, I, but you know what I mean? Kind of like, well, there I, you go. I, I hate to tell you I told you so, but I told you so. I'll, you know? I'll get I'll get me plug in now. So I, I know I do a stand-up show about my mental health called Delusions. And uh, I've rewritten it for the pandemic. I'm yeah. going to do it online this week. But a lot of the show starts with comments on now we all know what it mm. feels like to be vulnerable. Like now. Yeah. But... And I say, two positives will come out of that. It's a lot more empathy amongst people, certain types of people. Interesting. Um, so a little bit, uh, I mean, listeners who would have listened to you last time will be aware of your backstory. But for those who haven't, um, so of what I remember, and I had a you know, recap last night. So it was, um, and, and just to tell listeners as well, how I got to know John's material. Um, I was at a, a, a fund, a couple, I saw him at a couple of fundraisers at the, uh, Tyne Theatre, they call it the Opera House now, don't they? And it was when John mentioned in his second, um, the second gig about it, way, the way he opened up about his mental health, and I found that really intriguing, because I've always been interested in the relationship between things like comedy and mental health. So I made it a mental note to get in touch with John, and that's how we, we got him on the show. But for those who are unaware, John, um, and in sp- specifically as well, because it was an interesting time where I think you had sort of colleagues or friends at a gig who immediately kind of sort of doubted about your previous sort of schizophrenia episodes and it was more of a bipolar well, thing. Yeah, well, well, it, was, it wasn't so much colleagues. It was, um, well, no, people had seen me gigging around the comedy scene that walked at the Royal Edinburgh Psychiatric Hospital. Yeah. And, um, I'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia at 25. Mm-hmm. But by the time I got to about, I thought, I've been a comedian for about a year, so maybe about 30. <clears throat> I still, I was, I was without treatment at that point. I've had treatment. Dr. Felt it was the wrong kind of treatment, and I was on with zero treatment, but I could feel myself coming in, so I handed myself into the hospital one night at 2 in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, a ward lead met me, then they went and got two psychologists, because it takes, I think, a couple to overturn a diagnosis, and they came back with a quite a lengthy conversation, went, yeah, we know who you are, and we really don't think you do have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. We think you're bipolar one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you seem to show the signs yet. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing is now, Ricky, is that my whole perspective on what diagnosis has even changed since then. Because yeah. I've, I've spent more time with mental health uh, service users. I've got friends now that, are, that, are, that I've made since I wrote that show. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and they started to talk to me about because I, I, I don't exist in the system so much these days. I kind of took myself out of it a few years ago. Yeah. And they were saying that diagnosis is now looked on. You've probably got a list of things going on, mm-hmm. right? The terms are changing, yeah. and we all exist on some part of a spectrum, and I find that as a, an explanation son I can live with. Yeah. And I discovered that I had a list, and I don't know what the list is because I just didn't look into these. I didn't need to know for me. It's like it's, yeah. it's words like nowadays after 25 years. Sure. But the last thing was for, I have to go for my annual checkup at the doctor, and uh, I missed it last year because it's lockdown. But mm. <laughs> the one before that, the doctor sat down and he went, well, we've got a whole list of stuff going on here. What do you want to go with? And I went, let's just call it old fashioned bipolar and I'll yeah. stick with that. Cause I'm from the nineties. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I'm even here in terms now that things like schizophrenia isn't even recognized as a condition amongst some mm. medical practitioners and that. So I think diagnosis can be handy for 
finding those right treatments in that. But I yeah. think the general idea of what diagnosticism, what's bipolar, what's schizophrenia, what's schizoaffective disorder, and everything, that's all broadening out into a whole new field now. I don't yeah. know, do you, do you have much knowledge on that at all, Ricky? Uh, a bit. I mean, I, I, I was once diagnosed with bipolar at one point, and then... Because um, I, I, like yourself, I, you know, I have a history of anxiety and, and panic attacks. Yeah. But when it wasn't until I, you know, had my sessions with a mental health nurse, and she said, "Actually, Ricky, it's I think you have PTSD." Yeah. And the more, I, and you know, I guess, but you know, again, like yourself, sort of back in the back in the nineties, early noughties, I was having all that kind of weighed down upon me, like, "Crikey, what's what's going on?" And you know, all these terminologies, when you look through, you know, previous generations, they were very heavy handed and hence why the stigma of them was also big. But I mean, that was going to be a question, actually, regarding bipolar. Do you think the stigma has kind of like cleared somewhat because more people are talking about it? Because in my case, PTSD, um, for me, it was relief. Um, I was like, wow, OK, this is what it is. This is the reason why, you know, I have. Uh, insomnia, depression, anxiety, yeah. and panic attacks, and finally I could get my head down and research it and find yeah. what what I think's best for me in terms of you know course of treatment or or therapy or whatever it is. You know, was it similar in your case? Yeah, yeah. But if if we, as I say, if we do exist in a caring spectrum, I was manifesting most of the bipolar type yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, completely textbook case type stuff. Like, yeah. you take off five great symptoms, and I was, yeah. I was, I had them all, um, and that put me on the road getting treatment but it still took a while to find the right treatment I'm, I'm, I've been taking a, I'm, I'm taking treatment since I was 25 and I'm 51 now but I, I think it's about 11 years now I've been on the same kind of treatment and it mm-hmm. works effectively for me mm-hmm. and I tend never to mention what it is not even in the show that I do because uh, different things work for different people right? yeah yeah so um, tell us a bit more about um, the origins of your delusion show because I remember you were talking about it last time and specifically how that how that's evolved in lockdown as you mentioned just then as well yeah yeah well so I, I did a show that was uh, comedians talking about mental health and I was aware that a lot of service users were in the audience very nervous about doing it at first and I still wanted the show's called delusions I still wanted to make it a mix of topical stuff that the show is not just about mental health it's about how the world at large mm. impacts on our mental health yeah but it's Interested in the rewrite of delusions. I think we're living in one of the most delusional times yeah, I've ever seen yeah. as a society. If you walk into the news just now and look at the shelves, you would think we were going through the best time in British <laughs> life just now. Like, you know, and there's 120,000 people dead. And this is, I hate to use the term Orwellian, but it feels like Orwellian now. I, I well, what about, what about dystopian even? I mean, it's like. It's, it's dystopian almost, it is. It's like life, life, like a, life imitating art in this sort of old sort of, you know. I, don't feel like, I feel like I'm living in North Korea without the torture or something, <laughs> although some of it is torturous. Yeah. It's just there is a complete detachment from the reality of what's been happening for the past year. Yeah. And so rewriting the show Delusions, I had to write all that stuff into the show and it was yeah. it wrote itself. You know, yeah. It was wrote itself. But it's a scary detachment. I blame the media for as much as anything I've got to say in. People say, well, well, why do people think this is in their interest? I always say, well, if you keep on selling the people snake oil, eventually some of them will turn into snakes, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that very leads nicely on to sort of the next question regarding, um, you, you've, you've touched on it before about um, um, the relationship between mental health and arts and specifically in your case, co- comedy. Do you find it um, um, sort of allowing that to seep into your, your material 
given that you have personal experience, allows the stigma to clear, to it sort of inspires yes. audience and others to open up. And and do you think now, especially nowadays, because we're all expecting a big spike in mental health services, that you know, when we when after all this, when we look to to all these going down these all these different avenues in terms of our own treatment or therapy, that we're going to have to talk about it. We're going to have to talk about our grief and everything, aren't we? I think, I didn't quite fully answer that the last time, Ricky. I think there's major improvement. I think we're getting open about certain things. I think we're comfortable with terms like bipolar, but we're yeah. not so comfortable with a term like schizophrenia mm. or schizoaffective disorder. Mm. Um, I think depression and anxiety, is that's had a good look at by society as a whole. Yeah. But the more acute mental health, yeah. is things like psychosis, delusions and stuff, that's still, I think, riddled with stigma and it's a no-no. It's and I, I would that. also pinpoint the media is to blame that as well. I agree yes, on your earlier absolutely. point. You know, when they ever talk about, you know, something horrible happening, you know, and, and if, if a certain person has a certain condition, the way they kind yes. of blow it up, no. you no. know, as if like, you know, say like a, a soldier going mad, it's like, oh, they're PTSD and therefore yeah. they're going to go mad with a gun or something you know and yeah th- these are incredibly rare things that anybody with a mental yeah. health condition yeah. actually harms other people absolutely, you know, absolutely. obviously we know they're the biggest dangers to themselves like yeah. yeah um but yeah these things do get blown up as well um i used to have a bit about that in the show and i, I took it out i just didn't want any kind of that negativity that the idea that that yeah. somebody with a mental health condition can go and harm other people it's just so rare like, yeah. Yeah. yeah but the media yeah so so i think there's still a long road to go and completely getting into the guts of mental health and saying, look, that you know, it's it's not just depression, anxiety. There's a whole range of stuff going on here yeah. that we need to accept as a society mm. is treatable as mm. well as the big thing that I'm always talking about on stage that that all of these things are, are very treatable and mm. people can go through being very ill to live in quite a normal everyday functioning life as as, as I think I do myself. Like, Absolutely, I mean, you know, I was it wasn't so long ago I was watching this um, retrospective program on Spike Milligan and. Uh, um, when you list, look at all his interviews going back in the, the, the as far back as like the sixties even, and how open he was about his breakdowns, and I was thinking, wow, it's this, it's almost like timeless. But I guess back then, it, it, it probably would have flown over people's heads, and I think he was trying to do something there. And then when you, when you look at something now, I'm just last night, um, uh, Billy Connolly made in Scotland, and how open he was about his Alzheimer's, and that's still regarding his right now, like fresh That's and right, yeah. groundbreaking I, and you know he's a I saw a groundbreaking clip of Spike from the mid seventies talking as a, like a public health type thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Talking about bipolar disorder, yeah. which was revolutionary at that time. Because mm-hmm. uh, people just didn't speak about these things. Uh, exactly. I mean he, his experience was in the army and they used to put it down as shell shock. One one of my best experiences with PTSD is is, is that I, I've interviewed um um, you know, ex-soldiers and veterans. And it's amazing how these shared experiences we had, yet, you know, I experienced my thing here in the middle of, like, a grey suburbia and they experienced theirs in the, you know, in the battlegrounds. And yet we still have this con- connecting feature about, you know, um, being aware or not being able to sleep or, or maybe keeping something under our bed in case some, an intruder comes along, that kind of thing. And the first time I talked to a veteran about that and he told me that I actually broke down because I thought I was the only one. And yeah, this was a soldier, yeah. so I think I think what you're doing, uh, and and especially when you're when you're speaking to an, an audience, is so so vital right now. Wouldn't you agree? But it's good for me as well, yeah. Ricky, because 
one thing I used to ask for when I was a service user, and this is only going back 15 years, there was nothing like things like this exist now. Mm. I couldn't go and speak to other people yeah. that experienced the same things as me. There was nowhere for people to congregate. Yeah. And there is places now that they congregate, and I, I sometimes visit these places, and, mm. and we're doing this show. What's a huge benefit to me over the past few years, and I only wrote about three and a half years, I think, since we wrote the show, and I keep rewriting it and redoing it, mm. as I get to meet other people that have had the same experiences as me, and that's extremely beneficial, just like what you're yeah. saying. It's, it's extremely beneficial, you know, yeah. other people experience the same things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, even for me, doing this show, I mean, for me, it is like a talking therapy. When I speak to you, uh, another guest and I feel you know, that as well yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and and other people out there listening who get in touch um, it is like a talking therapy I mean this is all voluntary but it is doing something for me in in sort of a way that I didn't anticipate before so it's, it's almost like a bonus feature of doing the show in a way which is which is quite nice <laughs> I have to well before this I came on and said I'm a bit flat today because as I do what I talk it's showbiz things somebody's told me I'm not allowed to do a thing that I want to do so I'm yeah. flat today and I have to admit this this we have yours cheered me up a bit so that's oh, great oh. <laughs> I'm blessed I'm honoured mate I'm honoured um, something that when I last spoke to you which I think was at the community festival we did I remember putting a question about the arts because we were talking about cuts in the community and all that sort of thing. Wow, fast forward a year and a half, lockdown and the arts is in an incredible, you know, precarious position. From a performer's point of view, John, how do you see the future of the industry from your own personal view, point of view, you know, your work, but also as, uh, as a whole? I mean, it's hard. I've got three strands to my work, so I, 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 I get little commissions in writing. I'm a performer, and I do community engagement. And I was starting to yeah. do community engagement in mental health, but I use creative writing yeah. to hopefully make folk feel better. Yeah. So it's all gone, Kenny. I was finishing a master's last year. Mm-hmm. That was tough, but we got through it. Okay. I, for the first time in 16 years, I had a real job over Christmas, and I enjoyed it. I was I was sorting the mail, the Royal Mail, and I actually found it quite therapeutic. Just wow, right? okay. yeah. And I was back in a factory setting, which is where I started when I was a kid. And for yeah. some reason, I just like felt quite at home, there, yeah. and a lot of my humour kicked in. I've got a, another job I'm meant to be starting that I'm not looking forward to, which is in a COVID lab, which is... I better not say too much about it because it's government and everything. Yeah. It's been a nightmare. They've, they've employed 600 of us in December wow. and none of us have got a start date yet. And I know wow. folks that are working there and there's no work. Their lab's not up and running. So but it's 12-hour days doing very long repetitive stuff. Now, the mail was fine because I could listen to tunes and everything and yeah. laugh at everybody. So I'm maybe going to be looking for other work. I've been incredibly lucky, Ricky, in the past six weeks. I've generated a living from the arts for writing, yeah. very performing. And, and doing workshops with people in that as yeah. well online. It's there might be other work on the on the horizon in March. It was a miracle I got that for this bit time of year. But it's precarious. I for me, I would like to. I would love to get back to Royal Mail with the agency and go. I need three days sorting the mail this week, and I'm going to do yeah, arts yeah, and crafts yeah. stuff on a Friday yeah, Saturday, yeah, yeah. or I need a full weekly Royal Mail this week. That would be perfect for me, and I'm trying to sort that out just now. I'm not there. Loads of us, we just have to accept. Yeah, you know, we're going to have to find work. The problem is, is. The government support, I mean, I'm one of these people that fell through a crack with the government support because I've been at university for the past four yeah. years, right? Yeah. So my artwork was reduced by two-thirds. So I was making a like a part-time income. Yeah. So when I got a government grant for mm-hmm. my self-employment, it was for part-time work. It was, yeah. you know, it would last me a month and it was meant to last four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was 
you know, it's, it's, I'm lucky I've got a partner with an income, but I've also I managed to scrape together enough work. Yeah, it's, good for you. It's, good for it's you. tough. It's been tough. Like, good yeah. for you. I mean, have you heard from any sort of fellow stand-ups, how they've been coping and stuff like that? Well, there is a nice thing happened in the Northeast that we've formed a collective. So we're working a lot more like a theatre company, the stand-ups. Yeah. We, we've got, same as what I do, community engagement, writing, performing, and other stuff going on. So I'm working with a lot of the Northeast stand-ups just now. We all get the same wages. There's no headliner, middle act, opening act. Yeah. And you know what? It clears the air of egos. It, it clears the air of like, oh, I should be on last or I should be on first or whatever. Mm. And and we're looking after our running interests. We're, we're covering the Northeast. Yeah. But we've got about, that's brand new open spots up to people that have been doing 20 years like me. Okay, that's really good to hear. I mean, from speaking to sort of previous guests who are involved with performing and the creative arts, um, I'll put the question about things like streaming. Do you think it's, do you think it's part of the future um, where, we, you know, when we're eventually allowed to go back into theatre and so on? Or do you think that streaming was kind of okay as a stopgap between, you know, going back to normal? I mean, where do you stand on I, that? I feel it is definitely yeah. part of the future. I think gigs will be a mixture of people in the venue yeah. and it being streamed to home. Yeah. What I've been surprised at is it can work quite well. Right. Uh, we can stick on headphones. I can hear 50 people online. Maybe got another hundred of them on YouTube. Mm. Um, we can hear what's going on, so it feels like a real gig. Um, I've put together a, a theatre show that's that's not comedy. It's got little bits of comedy in it, and I and I, I made a kind of ad, ad hoc version of it in my house to go to kind of show to the arts council. This is what it is. But yeah. we're now via producing that, looking to make a proper quite high quality filmed version of it just mm-hmm. to put online because we can't do it like just yeah. now. John, where, where's the last half an hour gone? It's just flown. That was great, man. That was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for people out there who want to know more about you and, and you know, where to potentially find you in the future, you know, or, or I, I love listening to John and I want to I want to make sure I get to him when things return back to normal. How can, they, fi- how can they find out more about you? Where you'll immediately find me is go to the Felt Out Comedy website, I'm doing the show on mental health delusions uh, this Friday, the 5th of March. It's 6.30. Tickets are a fiver. However, if you know me on, on Facebook or find me on Facebook, and if you're unemployed or that just now, message me, and I'll make sure you can just get a ticket for free, especially if you're a mental health service user or that as well, and I'll make sure you can get tickets to see the show. Great. Oh, that's a really, really generous touch. And uh, is it just Facebook that you're on social media? You're on Twitter as well? You're... Um, I'm on Twitter, but I never look at it. Yeah, oh, so it's mainly Facebook, mainly Facebook. where I am now. Awesome. Well, John, it's been a pleasure chatting to you again. Um love lo- love to have you back on again. Just let us know and we'll happily do this again. Um, if you've any got any announcements or anything like that, just get in touch. We're happy to you know announce them on air. And, no worries, man. Um, you know, uh, that's the end of part one. Join us again in a few seconds for part two. Thank you, John. Take care. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hi listeners, welcome back to part two of Mentally Sound Life and Lockdown podcast series. Thank you, John Scott, for part one. Um, really awesome insight, particularly from a stand-up comedian's point of view, and very candid he was about his bipolar, and we appreciate him for that. Um, 
And we've got an equally great guest for part two as well, another friend of the show. And even more excitingly, um, he's uh, agreed to be a more staple part of the show because of his therapist background, which I'm delighted that he accepted because I think his expertise on previous shows has been magnificent. He is Amir Mirza. Um, listeners remember that um, he owned the cafe uh, bistro next to the Spice of M studio. And very nicely, you drop in and give his expertise on, you know, his background and his uh, angle on, on, on therapy. I understand he's a, a qualified psychotherapist. He'll, he'll clarify that when we start talking to him. But I remember the discussions we had were really fascinating, particularly in and around food psychology. Um, I thought his, his sort of insight on that was very um, of a revelation, really. And particularly on a last phone conversation that we had. Um, regarding sort of diet uh, amongst sort of communities in the West End, and I thought it was really fascinating. So we'll we'll look more on, on that, and uh, I think we're going to use the next 20, 25 minutes to explore that a bit more, and in particular the sort of mental health of the BME communities in the in the West End, in and around as well, and how lockdown has shone a light on that. So, um, Amir, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh... Uh, glad I could make it back, and thank you for inviting me back, Ricky. No, no, you're more than welcome, and, and even more so that you agreed to take care of a few more shows uh, the remaining uh, lockdown weeks, months, however long it may be. You know, we've we all thought it was gonna, we all we all had a roadmap ahead of we, didn't we? And yet, um, this morning we we woke up to the news of this new Brazilian variant, which might alter plans a little bit. Um, but we'll That's see, right. but we'll see where we go. We'll see where we go. First of all, Amir, I think it was uh, towards the end of, I think between summer and autumn, you were last on our podcast. Um, how have you been since then? And of course, we had a, a lockdown over Christmas, didn't we? Um, well, before Christmas and then restrictions were eased a bit. But how have you been over those last few months since we last spoke to you? Uh, yeah, actually, I think it was, I, was, I was discussing this with uh, a couple of friends of mine, uh, a couple of the therapists, and uh, it did actually get a hold of me. Yeah. Uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know why I'm surprised by that, you know, because it, as if I still possess some kind of kryptonite or something, or, <laughs> you know, something that keeps this away, some specialist thing. But yeah, it was really surprising. Yeah. You know, it's given me a time to do a lot of studying. I enjoy reading and a, a lot of walking. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll walk five, six miles a day as well as mm-hmm. doing circuit training. And mm-hmm. uh, I've got a spinning bike behind me there. Yeah. But, um, I found myself uh, sitting there for three days in front of the computer. Right. Got up in the morning, mm-hmm. watching. I don't even know what I was watching. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the series of this and that, and it was on the fourth day mm. when I spoke to a friend, and I was con- I was saying it was Sunday. Mm-hmm. He was saying it was Thursday. Yeah. Uh, it was actually uh, sorry. He was saying it was Friday. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually Thursday. Yeah. Wow. Wednesday, right? Yeah, and then I thought, "Wow, this is this has got me. This is interesting." Yeah. So, of course, that got me thinking, and you know, uh, exploring that and reflecting on that and where I went, mm. and then becoming aware of how easy it is, yeah, just to to, to get caught up to slip through the slip through the crack, yeah, the, yeah, the repetitive bombardment, the highs and the lows, mm. and it, and it's very, it's you know, it's. It's very easy to think you've got a positive attitude, but you know it's until it hits yourself, and it's actually not. Yeah, this is where we, you know, we all need to reflect on ourselves and look at um, yeah. 
what is it actually doing to us? What are we experiencing? Mm. You know, and, and, and we need do we need to talk to people? Do we need this? We all like to self manage. We do, you know, we, naturally we don't want to turn to people for help because we don't feel anybody can help us. Yeah. We believe we're quite uh, resilient in helping ourselves, but I think you know it was a big step. It was a big learning experience for me. You know, I'm smiling about it now. It was quite yeah. a shock at the time. You know, I think, wow, three days. I think uh, I think in America they have a saying. You know, I don't know if you've heard, but they say that even therapists have therapists. So do you think this, in a, in a way, showed that even people of a professional capacity like yourselves do have a vulnerable side, which often gets I don't know missed or perhaps um, stereotyped to thinking that. Therapists are superheroes. They they can't feel that in a way. You know what I mean? Um, no, we do. We actually do have. It's called supervision. Our therapy is called supervision. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to do adhere to certain amounts of hours. Mm. But uh, yeah, it is. Um, it's easy to get caught up with what you're doing, mm. and it's even easier to offer an opinion. Mm. Whereas I I I I actually like to offer suggestions which yeah. people can explore. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a lot better. You know, you you can make whatever you, you whatever direction it goes in, yeah. whatever direction it goes in. At least it's going in a direction. And often, you know, your experience in which you just described, because in relation to the same thing I discussed with pre- previous therapists on the show, was that um, you know, we were all you know rooting around for ideas to keep us busy in lockdown, and and one of them that often got brought up was like this terminology of binge watching, which. Sounds yeah. quite, it's a very loaded terminology, isn't it? And, um, you know, pre-COVID, it was often seen as something that, you know, towards the unhealthy side. But then I guess within COVID, it was sort of seen as, a, well, whatever keeps you going, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing. Yeah. But I think you demonstrated that 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 there are st- it is still something that you can fall within the trap of. And, and then, you know, things like procrastination seeps in and, and other yeah. conditions, you know, it could trigger off. Depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. Did you? Did you? Was that yeah. part of your self-reflection afterwards? Yeah, it was. Uh, how did I get here? Yeah. Uh, you see, the thing is, Ricky, we have, um, we live in a society mm-hmm. in developed countries where we want quick fixes. Yeah, sure. We have. We get a headache. We 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 instinctively take a paracetamol yeah, without yeah. exploring. Have I got the headache due to dehydration? Have I got mm-hmm. it due to stress? So we instinctively turn towards quickly, quick medication, mm-hmm. resolve the issue. Mm-hmm. The problem is this pandemic's gone on for a year now. Mm-hmm. So we forget that, you know, we instinctively, if someone says to us, you know, people will ask me, oh, what do I do? And how do I, what do I do about this situation? And yeah. how do I get through this? Yeah. And you think, okay, well, if you do this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. then you should be okay. Go and get a bit of fresh air, you know, give yourself some structure, give yourself some time. Sure. Well, of course, uh, but you know we're all human, mm-hmm. and 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 all these actions at yeah. times are oh, we are putting a you know sort of a, a bandaid over the issue. Sure, sure. You know we need to be a bit more open about it. So you know me in those three days, I was yeah. I was actually a, it, not scary. I was quite alarmed, and I was really interested mm-hmm. as to how I got there mm-hmm. for three days, thinking, "Wow, look at this." What happened to me? Yeah. And it wasn't, I wasn't self-critical. It wasn't a case of, oh, you didn't do your walks, you didn't do this. Mm. It was just, it was so easy to fall into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can see so many people going through this. I mean, you know, mm. parents with their children and, 
Mm. You know, I have parents telling me now, you know, that, you know, the kids are first when it was started, everybody was active, taking the kids out. Now, where are the kids are? They're on the laptop or the computer. How long have they been on there? I don't know. Yeah, sure. And it's very, very difficult mm. to manage this, but we have to be honest with ourselves. Mm. The first step is honesty. Mm-hmm. That is the key. So you mentioned quite rightly, yes, of course, it's it's coming up to 12 months um, um, since all this began. And how, how, how do you think, how much do you think that fatigue has set in and maybe allows, you know, we talk about falling into that trap. Do you think fatigue, because it's gone on for so long now, is, is one of the things that kind of makes us fall through the net, as it were? Of course, of course. I, t- I mean, I totally agree with you there, Ricky, but you, you've got to, normally you associate fatigue with negative things, normally. Yeah. yeah. How can going for a walk in the fresh air fatigue you? How can thinking positively fatigue you? Mm-hmm. And all these things do imp- impact in their own way mm-hmm. and do cause fatigue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you try smiling all day. Mm-hmm. Your face is going to get yeah. tired. Yeah. Your muscles get tired. Yeah. That they're fatigued. So mm-hmm. it's a very, very good question that actually, and I think, you know, I would suggest um, reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. What is fatigue? Fatigue is normally got a, you know, a, a bad cell. It's a, it's a, you know, through hard work or overthinking, ruminating, everything else, but it isn't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, fatigue is, I believe now, it's a uh, consummate with being bombarded by press, social mm-hmm. media, mm-hmm. everything day and night. Is this the first, you know, the first thing you see in the morning when you wake up is wow, the news. Like you said this morning, well, Brazilian, yeah, uh, you know, one, and um, and it's 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 testing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to see how we get through this. It's going to be um, very very interesting mm-hmm. to see how we come out of this. Mm-hmm. Putting aside all the press and everything else, and the negativity and the positivity, everybody's yeah. trying something. Yeah, but I think they're running out of steam, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, even should we shall we say shall we put it out there that even Joe Wicks is fatigued now? Yeah, and that's possi- yeah, that's got to be absolutely. something, isn't that? A Superman losing his will to fly, isn't <laughs> absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> and the the irony is that um, yeah, my oldest nephew he's a huge superheroes fan, and he he dons his uh, Superman costume every day and uh, insists that we watch the DVD. Um, yeah. Because we recently discovered the Donner cut. I don't know if you're aware of Superman, but. Um, um, I hope not to bore listeners, but um, yeah. Afterwards, they found some old footage, and because the second uh, Superman wasn't made in in the way they attended, you know, Marlon Brando was famously cut out of it. Um, yeah. So I've been telling my nephew that oh, this is a better version. Watch this because Marlon Brando's in it, and all this stuff happens, and he's hooked. So, <laughs> so that's probably my fault, but anyway. Um, was I right at the beginning, Amir, that um, it psych- psychotherapy was your is your was yeah, your I'm a counselor, yeah. 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 And um, through our phone yeah. conversations recently, that um, you've embarked on some new interesting project. The interesting project is we setting up a community interest corporation whereby we want to develop services for BM communities. Was this the one that you mentioned on the last project that you were sort of getting into? This all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's all. We're we're in uh, discussions now with mm-hmm. a couple of organisations. Yeah, there's been a realisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on what side of the fence you sit on. Uh, you know, one therapist I spoke to, they didn't think there was a need for uh, transcultural counselling, just counselling is counselling, therapy is therapy. Mm-hmm. And then you've got others who firmly believe in it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then you've got the middle, the middle of the road group. And they're sort of 
starting to get an understanding because we're basing it on uh, sort of systemic, a psychosocial model, which I think with any cultures and any communities, mm-hmm. you have to encompass everything, the culture, the living conditions. Well, the thought so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we actually want to um, develop uh, therapy in that context now mm. because that's what it's exposed, hasn't it? It's, it, it's exposed yeah. the, the percentage of BM communities where you're not black and uh, Asians that are, are nearly up to 50% more likely to die if they get it. Mm. Uh, I think within uh, Asian communities, the highest t- people that came in the at risk was uh, Bangladeshi origin. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they, you know, I mean, and they're suggesting it's because of, you know, the uh, close knit nuclear family structure where you have mm. large families living in the same mm. household and the need still to work and, yeah. you know, the family support. That's yeah. all cultural. Yeah. That's all, you know, that yeah. comes through our culture. Um, yeah you know, living through this and supporting each other, going out to work, even, you know, not worrying too much about the health, mm. you know, putting work first and support So do you first. think there is more credence to that side of the study as opposed to, you know, suggestions that it's it's some, somehow maybe genetic? Because um, this was a kind of a tussle at the beginning of lockdown, wasn't it, as to why the death the death rate or the illness rate, the infection rate is high amongst our community. Do you think, <coughs> do you think it's more socioeconomic than it is sort of, you know, health backgrounds or maybe, um, you know, something it's, within it's us. Actually, it's actually all of it, Ricky. I mean, you know, there's some now, you know, genetic uh, uh, conditions which which have gone through because of diet, you know, high fat, mm-hmm. high, uh, you know, sugars and everything else. They're, they're based mm-hmm. on that. Diabetes is a great example. Mm-hmm. So they were linking it to that to say, you know, because of diabetes, it causes this, this, and this, mm. uh, and you're at higher risk. Mm. Um, you know, I would suggest it's probably worth exploring more to the fact of lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, if we we're living in close, you know, we're, we're faced with poverty. Community are faced by poverty. So you know, socioeconomically, you know, they're, they're behind everybody else. Mm-hmm. You have cultural issues, mm-hmm. and they're close knit. Mm-hmm. So they don't really want to go out. So, mm-hmm. you know, you the, the type of food you eat is probably just home cooked a lot of the time mm-hmm. where it's there for convenience. And I mean, you know, also what we used to think was what, what people eat, wealthy people is just as cheap food is that enjoy it so much anyway, like vegetarian food. Yeah. But then that comes with its own implications, doesn't it, with ghee and everything else. Yeah. So it's re-educating because, you know, who doesn't enjoy their mums? You know, I used to love my mums when she was alive it was never made it was unhealthy or not mm-hmm. but there's that attachment with it yeah. um, I think it was too easy to, to turn around and say that being community was, were this way because of diabetes and things like that mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's I, to me I think that's a cop out yeah. you have to look at the psychosocial structure of everything sure. Sure. before pushing it out there yeah. you, know, uh, I, you know I was smiling when you said um because I, I grew up in a sort of a, a vegetarian family, as, as it were. You know, my, my family weren't meat eaters. But, um, but then we would often puzzle. I know my, 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 my late father would, would often scratch his head as to say, well, you know, why, why, why am I overweight? Why do I have diabetes? You know, I thought veggie food was, was the in thing. It was the yeah. healthiest. But when you think about it, it's not, it's not just about the, the, the substance. It's about the way of cooking, the way the ways and means of how it's all prepared and all that, they could still make it very... Um, so you brought back a, a memory there, which is what, which is why I smiled. But um, as regards to lifestyle, Amir, how do you think that then transcends to 
the mental health of our communities? Do you think uh, are we also suffered disproportionately from this through the, the whole lockdown thing? Uh, I bet the, yes, we have. Uh, but as I said, you have to look at a number of factors here. Mm. You know, a lot of the guys from uh, Asian communities are taxi drivers. Mm. And that's really impacted on them. A lot of guys, no work, nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're actually, they're, you know, they're delivering food for restaurants and things just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And there was no help or support there mm-hmm. because they were all self-employed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and restaurants closed. We have a lot of Asian yeah, chefs, which are, you know, yeah. there was a massive, it was a massive ripple mm-hmm. effect through mm-hmm. the whole community. Yeah. And, you know, when you get communities and they're exposed to their vulnerabilities, yeah. You know, I would suggest that it's instinctive to shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't want to show people that we're suffering because we, you know, how bad we're doing or how, how this is, is. And this is a cultural thing, isn't it? Where we go back to and it goes to, we don't talk enough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, 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 we put the community before the individual when it's those individuals that make the community. So yeah. if it's not working as a collective, yeah. then it's not going to work. Or yeah. let's use a better word. If it's not working in agreement, then you must be wrong. Mm. It's like, you know, you know our, our, you know, when our, our uh, parents, grandparents first came here, the first ethic was to grind down and work because it's the only means yeah. of survival. You know, they had to work from survival. And that's kind of yeah. gone on through generations where, you know, yeah. other, other things to do with, um, our, you know, our so our lives, our social lives, things like talking about our health, not just mental yeah. health, physical health as well, was yeah. was seen as taboo. And, and you're quite right; we would never talk about it. I mean, my my father, bless him, um, um, he would never talk about. Um, and you know, I I've said this on the show a few times. I, I sadly saw my father, you know, um, through the stresses of, you know, the recession of the eighties, where he felt his, as you mentioned, you know, as we've seen, the livelihoods are being lost. And when he when he felt that things were slipping through his fingers back then, he would he would self harm. So with that in mind, um, how do you think resi- something like resilience will will um, carry our community through? I mean, do you see where I'm coming? I do. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a couple of parts to this, Ricky. Uh, the first part is is resilience really uh, relative to communities because. In, in, in a word, at times it is, you know, there's problems, community still goes on and on. Yeah. But the resilience is, is it, can we really say that's resilience? Mm-hmm. Are they bouncing back from adversity or are they just burying the adversity and getting on with it? Yeah. So, you know, that that's the first instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part of this is that it, we can only develop the health of our next generation if we show or children, yeah. the younger members, that it's okay Absolutely. to talk. The theme goes, you know, look, Absolutely. look, you're okay to go and talk to them mm. rather than close the shutters and say nothing to see here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, this is, this is the massive step. This mm. isn't resilience. This is education. Mm-hmm. This is actually showing them the mm. benefit of, you know, a good mental health, mm. well-being. Uh, in in a community context, like mm. look, you can benefit from it rather than just bury it or put it behind. Absolutely, I wonder as as a previous point we made, the kind of keep working ethic was perhaps their ways and means of um, going through any ba- sort of bad times because it it was it, it, I guess in a symbolic way it showed strength. It showed that we're 
you know, we're going to carry, you know, keep calm and carry on. I suppose they had it back then as well, didn't they? It was their ways and means of showing that, no, we're not going to stop. We're not going to shut down. Um, yes, we're kind of feeling inside, but how dare we, how dare we try and show it? Let's just keep, keep going. But then, you know, you know, to, to, to turn a blind eye to things like mental health, you know, crippling conditions to the mind is, is going to be short term, long term. It's going to, it's eventually going to come to you, you know. It's going to smack you hard in the face. I mean, um, Amir, where's the last half now gone? It's it's just, it's just flown by. It's been. Is it really? Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's coming towards the end. Yeah. Um. So we're coming towards the end of this uh, podcast. We're about to wrap it up. But um, if I was to put one last question to you, Amir, and of course you you know you're gonna be you're gonna be on again very soon. So listeners, um, I encourage you to listen because. Um, talking to Amir, you know, is really, really fascinating. I really love his insight. But if I was to pick on one subject that on what we talked about, say if I picked on fatigue, and for people, people listening who are really feeling the fatigue and and are, are pondering as to how the year is going to pan out, from from yeah. your professional point of view, what, what what would your advice be to them? I love. It's getting it in the right context. Okay. Fatigue is psychosomatic. Yeah. It's the body's way of telling you, the mind telling you, or is speaking to you, giving your, you know, mental health a physicality. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a great example of this very quickly as we're short. Yeah, time. yeah, go on. Uh, there's a friend of mine, a doctor friend of mine, very good friend of mine. He told me about a case he worked with years ago. A gentleman went to the hospital. He got up one morning and he couldn't move his arms. Right. And the doctors were. The, lost they didn't know what to do and mm-hmm. um, uh he just couldn't move his arms paralyzed the check and did all the tests mm-hmm. in the end they referred him to my friend and it was psychosomatic it was he wow. got so overwhelmed by stress yeah and trauma that yeah. his arms stopped moving yeah why is in an extreme case let's look at it in an easier way as you're seeing now you know fatigue fatigue is psychosomatic mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh just, just on, just on that. I mean, I've heard a very similar case. I know that people, as part of my extended family, where they've been so overcome by trauma that you made the example about the arms not being able to speak. The the people I know uh, have lost the ability to even talk. It's it's, it's nothing, yeah. nothing going on inside, as in like you know the vocal cords or anything like that. It's just that the overwhelming from what they've felt through through the trauma just has made yeah. them. I don't know if it's like necessarily something like selective mutism or something like that, but it's just made them unable to communicate through their vocal cords, just like that. And it's and I've heard I've heard I've heard on numerous occasions that actually it's it's quite I think it's more common than 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 we once think. It is. Uh, I've heard a few cases like that. What they how they basically work with those cases is that when someone goes through a certain trauma, mm. uh, let's just suggest that your your cry for help isn't being heard. Makes you think, doesn't it? Um, it does, and this is back to the original question: fatigue. Be very careful. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's creeping up from everywhere, and, and we are trying to be resilient, but we don't need to be resilient. What we need to be is think of our own, think of our own self care. Yeah. Be nice to ourselves. Yeah, we've been through the grinder the last year. Listen to ourselves. Listen to our body, and do what we. That's we right. You know, if your body says yeah. you want to go and have a lie, don't go and have a lie. Don't yeah. don't feel guilty about it. Absolutely. If you think, oh, I can't be bothered, go and get a little walk. It's actually beautiful. I mean, I think I've already done about five, six miles today, and 
done a circuit and my bike and everything. And I was out with my nephew today, actually. It was a lovely spring. Um, I showed him my old first school, which I was at, and uh, it was really nice. So, yeah, take take advantage of this. Because um, I think what was what was particularly hard with the previous lockdown, it was like in the heart of winter, wasn't it? And it, and it was like, well, we can't even go outside, let alone, you know, it was it was like lockdown. It was like a turbo lockdown, wasn't it? Because we couldn't go out and do our or daily exercise as walks as we could, but especially That's for right. people who are more That's vulnerable right. who, you know, of course there was a lot of frost and ice around, so it was a bit treacherous. Yeah. But right. um, with with this one, at least it is getting, you know, we're having more daylight, so let's use that to our advantage. Uh, I think you would it's, agree. And it gives you an insight, doesn't it, Ricky, into uh, which isn't discussed that often, but a lot of people suffer from a season effect. Exactly. Disorder. I was about to say that, yeah. yeah so they're... Yeah, they've been going through it for years. Mm-hmm. So now... It's these experiences that we've gained, these experiences of, you know, not judge, judging ourselves, not being judgmental. How did we yeah. cope with this? Yeah. You know, Absolutely. everything taken out of your own hands, yeah. no control. Yeah. You know, it, uh, and I think, you know, the, don't be uh, too harsh on yourself. Mm. Yes, it's good to bounce back, but, you know, what's wrong with mm. just sitting there and, mm. and ruminating on things? There's nothing wrong with it. I'll also like to pay tribute to you know when we talk about community, a lot of our a lot of our um you know the younger generations actually um see the values of healthcare and and getting work within our NHS and they're actually doing the work in which me and you are both advocating in specifically with our communities about you know don't be don't be scared to open up about you know if there's things troubling you always open up so uh, I've got a few friends um whose sons and daughters have become doctors and nurses. So I think that's a that's a really positive thing, isn't it? So, yeah. Excellent. Is, yeah. excellent. Brilliant. Um, thank you, Amir. Um, any, if anyone wants to get in, get in touch with you, um, I know you're active on Facebook. Do you, is there a right for them to sort of look you up and see what you're up to? And... They can. I mean, they can uh, just get in contact through Spice. If they, they want to email yourself, keep it forward on, and then, you know, hopefully that'll give us, um, if they have any concerns or questions, mm-hmm. you know, we can... Um, respect their anonymity as well and also it can give us topics to discuss see what's on the mind and lips of the community fantastic excellent yeah so um that wraps it up um thank you amir for joining us and of course you you've you've um, become a stable part of mentally sound now for the foreseeable future um thank you very much for that and it's it's to our it's it's to our advantage and it's to our listeners advantage so awesome that you're on board um so thank you listeners um, thanks again. Yes, join us again for next week for more mentally sound life in lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, stay tuned for the next show. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Take care of your mental health. Goodbye. Thanks, Amir. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.